it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. We have episode 194 tonight. We're going to go back to listener questions. We got some great ones through the last few weeks when we've been doing some really good interviews. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed those over the last few weeks, but we're going to answer some listener questions tonight. So I am going to go ahead and read the first question and answer this one because it kind of fits into my wheelhouse of something that I bought recently. So it's a It's a question from Will. He's from the UK and he's a big fan of the podcast. He's been listening avidly and he started investing late last year. Uh, He says, I've started building my portfolio with some strong companies paying dividends that, that I've been dripping back into to buy more. And he has a large amount invested in ETFs that are also doing well for him. He also has invested in a few SPACs and growth stocks, Palantir which is what we're going to focus on here. So he says, he says, I like the look of it. I was looking to make a 10% ROI per year and was well on my way to doing that. However, I've hit a snag. My top allocation right now is currently Palantir, which is ticker symbol PLTR for those following along. He did his due diligence following the advice from books, podcasts, and I believe it is a strong company with high potential into the future. Unfortunately, I got a bit too emotional and have initially bought in around $18 and is averaged up around $26. The stock has been very bearish recently and I am now sitting at roughly about a 700 pound loss when he originally invested about 200 shares. I know I have time on my side as I plan to hold this for five to 10 years. However, this obviously will affect my aspirations of a 10% yearly ROI if it takes a while to come back. I appreciate I only make a loss when I sell and I've been buying the dip with Palantir. However, I am concerned with continuing to buy the dip and it becomes a larger chunk of my portfolio as it already massive uh, skews my overall return. Should I continue buying whilst in the current dip, hold out and bring up my other companies so that the volatility within Palantir has less of an effect overall? 
or bite the bullet and sell off some of my stock to help reduce my volatility. Overall, I am bullish on Palantir. Any thoughts or opinion you guys have could offer would be greatly appreciated. Keep up the great work. Kind regards, Will. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and take a stab at this first uh, because uh, sh- shock of shocks to some people out there. I actually bought some Palantir. So I bought five whole shares for a little over $100 for an investment. It was just kind of a, a, a for giggles. But I did do some research on the company. I did read through the 10Ks. I also read through some uh, the latest quarterly reports as well as the S1. So the company just went public uh, about a year. No, not even a year ago. I believe it was sometime last winter. And so it's a new company in the market. Uh, the company has actually been around for about 10 years or so. And their focus is on AI. And in particular, their largest market is with the United States government. And they do a wide range of things working from the military to central intelligence to other aspects. They've recently started working more with more commercial customers. And the applications of their software and their platform are beyond staggering and their ability to use that platform to create all kinds of data streams and analysis of, of different data is, is it's staggering. Uh, they had an investor preview, I guess, of their, of their platform, uh, about a week ago or so. And I watched it on online on YouTube and it was ridiculous. Uh, the capabilities of this thing is <laughs> it's beyond, but, uh, the reason why I bought it was because I was looking to kind of, I guess, dabble a little bit in a space that I a, wasn't super familiar with and super comfortable with. And I wanted to kind of expand my horizons a little bit. So one of the things that I've been reading about a lot lately was, hunter baggers and not that i think that this company is going to be a hunter bagger but some of the aspects about the company i think could be potential and kind of like will i have a long time horizon on this so this is something i just bought and kind of i'm going to set it and forget it so all the things that will is doing are not is not was never my intention with buying the company uh the company has a lot of a lot of great prospects uh the revenue growth has been really really good uh since it's gone private or i'm sorry since it's gone public and the company has done well the it's losing money still and it's not paying a dividend so this is definitely not in, in andrew's wheelhouse but it is something that i think has the potential at some point to be worth something now for me it's not a company that I would be willing to put a large stake of my portfolio in like Will has. He obviously has far more conviction about this company than I do. Uh, I think it's something that could potentially be a great benefit, not only to me, but also to investors as well as a great source of, I guess, a different kind of technology, if you will, because artificial intelligence is is kind of beyond most of the stuff that I've ever worked with. And one of the things that, just to kind of give you, a, I guess, a quickie idea of what kinds of things it could do. So, for example, with the military, they have fighter planes, which are very complicated, lots of moving parts, lots of technology, and maintaining these vehicles or these vehicles, these weapons is complicated. And by using something like the platform that 
Palantir offers, they can predict when different parts of the plane are going to need maintenance and upkeep, and then they can schedule it and get it done before something starts to happen or before something goes wrong with the plane. And it can keep track of all the different data points that are involved with with the planes and everything. And it's just, it's so fascinating. But anyway, all that to say, so I guess my answer for Will on this kind of company, it sounds to me, based on what you're saying in the email, that you're very bearish on the comp or bullish on the company. You think it has a long term growth and it has a long term possibilities of being a, a great investment. And I would probably agree. But I guess one of the things that I guess you have to answer for yourself is how much of this volatility can you can you handle? Because as somebody who's owned a very small bit of the company over the last, I guess, month or so, it is very volatile. Uh, you will see it go up 5% one day, down 6% the next day, then back up 7% the next day, and then down 4% the following day. So over the course of the week, you're going to see pretty wild gyrations, and it may only be up a quarter of a percent for the week by the end of the week. So it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of volatility to stomach. And, if it's really driving you that crazy, then I would probably start to trim some of the exposure. I probably, I would, I guess in my, if I was in your shoes, I would not buy any more. If it's really gotten to that big of a portion of your portfolio, I would start looking at other things to try to balance out the exposure that you have with the company and your portfolio. And it will also help reduce some of your volatility. And as far as the 10 year, annual returns of 10%, you may not, you're not going to get a straight 10% every single year. You may have one year that may only be 6%, but the next year may be 15%. As long as it's averaging 10% over that time period, that's really the most important thing as opposed to trying to get an even 10% every single year. Cause there's going to be some years you just aren't. And there's going to be a lot of years where you will in spades. So it's more about the long term of the returns as opposed to worrying about year to year to year. It's think about it more of a long-term play as opposed to a short-term play. So I guess that's kind of my thoughts on Will's question and Palantir and kind of how to handle the volatility. I would be curious to hear what Andrew has to say about it. Sure. So I also agree with you about the 10% thing. You know, the market doesn't care what price you bought a company. at. also doesn't care what your goals are for your investments. And so you know, over the long term, it's going to track the economy, but the economy goes up and down in cycles. And so will the stock market and so will your investments. So, you know, good to have a goal. I have a goal, you know, 11% over 40 years, but I'm not getting too bummed out if I'm lagging or when I was way overachieving, I wasn't too excited either because I know how fickle it can be. So now in the case of this Palantir situation, I have not researched the company. So I'm not going to make any recommendations about or any kind of judgments about the company itself. I'll just say based on this situation, talking about having about 200 shares, and you mentioned in your email how you're investing about 500 pounds a month, um, 500 pounds a month. So, you know, doing some back of the napkin math here, you're talking about almost a year's worth of monthly deposits for you into one company. That's that's definitely a lot. So even if you never bought into it and you just 
completely just bought other stocks for the rest of your investment career until you retired, you would still have like a pretty, pretty significant size, assuming it didn't even grow. So you're definitely at a very large size here. And that brings up several kind of problems, I think, with that. And you, you got to be careful and like, you got to think of it like a balancing act and, and try not to, to move in one direction or swing in the other either. Because I think this is great, a great lesson to see how it is when, when you start investing serious money into the stock market is you notice how even though you're bullish, you get all these doubts that come up and, and you start, it's, it's not that there's second guessing in this email, but there's these, these thoughts, these concerns, these stresses that come up. And and it's only natural when you, when you buy stocks and, and particularly when they make up larger parts of your portfolio. So even if you have the knowledge that, Hey, you know, I'm going to hold this for a very long time. It is admittedly frustrating to see your returns get skewed from one big position. And I think that's why I mentioned this in the email, maybe like a week or two ago. But if you think about all the, all the investors who really made huge, super huge bets, you know, Warren Buffett, um, Guy Speer, Manish Prabhai, these guys are very, very concentrated. They'll, they'll put huge parts of their portfolio in, into single stocks. They, you notice how we don't really hear about the investors who do that and fail. So you have a bit of survivorship bias going along. And so when we hear about these successful investors who put these big chips on the table, we, we only hear about the successes because that's the only thing that people want to talk about. But the reality too is that there are people who made huge bets and then either severely underperformed the market and or lost a ton of money. And of course, you don't hear about them because they just kind of disappear into, into, you know, into the abyss where, where we don't we don't hear about that kind of performance. And so I think as every as average investors and as as somebody who's been investing for almost a decade, I still have to humble myself and and catch myself when I'm wanting to put too many chips on one company or one idea because the reality is is that we get you get very confident on a company and just because you're you've done all the research in the world doesn't make success a guarantee and you know if you've seen some of the best businesses of all time eventually stumble and you know the world changes market changes customers change all those things can happen and so there's a lot of problems that i see with having huge concentrations like this maybe you want to trim some of it maybe you don't i don't know but i would definitely look at not adding any more, even if it, you know, let's say it, it crashed 50% tomorrow and you're looking at it as a great opportunity to add more. I don't think that's, that's something that would be particularly wise. And I would look to try to get to even diversification as quickly as I could. And if you can get out of there with, with like a small profit to, to further diversify your portfolio, that's probably a good move too. But, you know, on the flip side, Will's very, very young, um, has a long time horizon. And so if you can kind of chalk, if, if, you know, again, if there's a lot of volatility to come and if you end up losing a ton of money on it, if you chalk it up as a learning experience and kind of ignore that portion of your portfolio, um, I don't see any reason with, with sticking with it. If this is really that company that you're so confident in.
if that makes sense. You know, like I haven't, I haven't done the research on Palantir. Like Dave says, it's not my wheelhouse. It doesn't check any of my boxes. But if it's, if it's something you have that much conviction with, then it might be worth staying on. But at the same time, you have to be careful that you're not becoming overconfident or being too, you know, having a bad perception on, on, on what your true circle of competence is and if you understand the situation or not. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And that's, those are really good thoughts. And what is that, what is that saying that the market can be irrational longer than you can be liquid or something along those lines? Yeah. It can be yeah irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> even though you may be right, it doesn't necessarily mean that the market will agree with you. And it may take a little while for it to agree with you too. So I, I would definitely listen to Andrew. That's, that's some great advice. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. All right, moving on to the next question. I have uh, hello, Andrew and Dave. I'm a 17-year-old in the United States, and I found your podcast about four months ago, and I'm loving it. It is such great information for someone like me who is trying to soak up as much information as possible. I started listening to your podcast from the very, very beginning, and I'm, I am at episode 81. And the time of writing, so I don't know if you have talked about my questions yet. This brings me to my questions. What happens to a stock of a company when they get bought out? Do you get paid out a set price? Do the stocks you own get rolled into the buyer stock? Thanks for all that you and Dave do. It's been a big help in making sure that I start my investing journey when I turn 18 years old on the right foot. Thanks for your time, Sam. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Sam's great question? Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. 
It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So the answer is yes. Depends on what the deal was. So when one company buys another, they can make a deal to say, hey, you know, we're going to pay, let's say, $3 billion for your company. And so, you know, you split that up by however many shares there are. So maybe everybody, every shareholder gets like $50 a share. And so, you know, it goes through a process where basically that gets announced. And then there's no way you can time it. Almost immediately, the the price will shoot up because there's there's people on Wall Street who are watching this stuff. And so an uh, example of this was a company we bought for the e-letter, Tiffany. So Tiffany was trading, I think it was around 80 or 90. I think we got in around 80 or 90, maybe 70-ish. doesn't matter. Um, and th- so there were rumors that they were going to get acquired. And so once those rumors came up, the stock shot up to 120. And then there was another announcement, more of an official announcement that they got, that they were going to get acquired. And that happened at like 130. And so the stock will shoot up and it will get really close to what the deal is, but there'll be a little bit of slack to, you know, like you won't like, like in this situation, I can't remember the exact dollar amount, but let's say the deal was like 132, maybe the stock trades at 131 or 130 because um, there's still risk that the deal falls through. And so, you know, lo and behold, with COVID and everything, 
there were there was all of a sudden a big risk that the deal wouldn't go through anymore, even though both companies had agreed to it. And so what ended up happening was the stock cratered back down. And then when it became clear that they were still going to do a deal, it shot back up close to the to the new deal price. And so in that time period where you're waiting for basically for the deal to close and, and it needs to go through antitrust and the government and everything, and it needs to get approvals, it needs to get approved by shareholders. And so in that time, you'll just have this stock that's just not really moving. And then when the when the deal finally closes, you'll get your cash and it'll get sent to your account. So I think in general, unless it's a company you really like, I like the idea of just selling it once the price gets really close to what the final deal price will be. The other option to when one company buys another is um, you receiving shares of the acquiring company. So this also happened to a stock in the e-leather um, also last year. So we held a company called Parsley Energy, got crushed by COVID, and another company in the energy sector was able to pick up pick up Parsley Energy very cheap. That was frustrating, but you know what can you do? Which is why diversification is important. But what they did instead of buying cash, paying cash for this for this acquisition, they they offered shares, and so you might get you could get two shares of of the company that's acquiring you, or maybe you get like 0.4 shares. In my case, I think I got somewhere it was it was a decimal decimal place number of shares, fractional shares. And so that's what you get in exchange for however many shares you have. So if you have, you know, 10 shares, say they're giving you 0.4 shares, you get four shares of the new company. And so those are the two possibilities between what's going to happen to your, you know, your ownership when the company that you own gets purchased. And is there a situation? Well, I guess maybe not a situation, but it's a little bit similar to spinoffs, correct? Where one company sells or splits off a portion of their company, and then they offer you shares in that new company. Is that is that how I'm is that how I'm remembering it? I yeah, there is the possibility of of you getting the option to. Okay. Um, sometimes, so I guess you know both of the situations I was in, it was either you're getting the cash or you're getting the shares. But they also do have the ones where you get the option, and um, it, it's it's situation by situation. There isn't there is a a style of investing too where you kind of arbitrage the the two where you buy the company before it's sold, and then when the price goes up, you sell out of it and kind of make the the profit between the two kind of thing. Yeah, that one's very risky. It's like trying to pick up pennies in front of a steamroller. Yeah. Because nine out of 10 acquisitions go through, the one that doesn't will crater 20, 30, 40%, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not something that uh, (laughs) I am going to be doing. It's way out of my wheelhouse for sure. All right, let's move on to the next question. I have Hello, I am a university student from Canada a subscriber to your newsletter, and I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Through listening to your podcast and reading your articles on your website, I have found that dollar cost averaging is the method you use to keep your portfolio diverse. 
I'm using the same amount as you, $150 a month to invest with. I just opened my first account that I can invest through. And once I complete my research of stocks that I've been working on with the help of your seven step ebook, I am going to buy my first stock. The question I have is with dollar cost averaging. Once you reach the comfortable amount of stocks in your portfolio, 15 to 20, what do you do with the next $150? For example, if you have 20 stocks in my portfolio, each roughly around $150 in value, and the next month comes and I put in another $150, where should I put it? Assuming a best case scenario where all my stocks have increased in price so that none are undervalued anymore, do I reinvest in stocks that I want to hold forever? Do I buy new stocks with that money? Any site, any insight into this would be very much appreciated. Thank you, Michael. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Michael's really good question? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a really good one. That's very tough to answer because it, the answer that's right for you could be different depending on where you are in the journey. So for me, you know, I'm looking at my portfolio every single month when I am looking for new companies to buy. And so. Uh, you know, you got to compare what you have now versus what's out there. And just because, so I might look at a, a stock in my portfolio. Let's say I bought it and it was very undervalued. I was able to pick it up and we're up like 10% or 20%. Now, you know, you might be feeling because you bought it and it's up 20%, it doesn't feel undervalued to you because you have that 20% gain but it could very well still be undervalued and so you know if, if you want to take a more rational approach to it you should be reevaluating its its undervaluation and its attractiveness and comparing that to whatever you're adding in your portfolio um, in each upcoming month and so you, you basically you want to position yourself in the stocks that are the most attractive at any given time and Dave, you, you brought up this quote very recently, and, and I loved it. You talk about how Charlie Munger says, if you want to fish, you got to go where the fish are. And you know, in the context of you got you to gotta find, you got to go to the stocks that are undervalued, and you got you to gotta fish there and really just try to invest in the good deals. And so when it comes to building your portfolio, you, know, you might have 20 stocks, and I would not say just buy one of your stocks in your portfolio just so you stay within 15 to 20. I think that's silly. Um, 15 to 20 is a good guideline. It's a good framework. And it's, 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 it's there to, to kind of say like, maybe you don't want to have a hundred and maybe you don't want to have like five. Right. And so I think it's good to have that, that framework and that guideline, but. As you're as you're at that part now where you're like, okay, I'm I'm pretty comfortably diversified, then you're in the mindset of let me compare this with what I have now, um, what's available out there, and just try to put your money in where it's most attractive. Now, the flip side of that, which kind of goes back to the first question we answered with Palantir, is you know, if you have one stock that's taken up this huge portion of your portfolio, it's like 20 or 25% of your portfolio, then even though it is the most undervalued stock, maybe that's not the best one to be adding to because you want to be diversified. And that means diversified not only with the number of stocks, but also with how big of, their, of your portfolio they are, 
right? If you have $10,000, but 7,000 is in one stock, that's not really diversified. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I think along the same idea is when you're investing every month, sometimes the company that you bought the month before is still your best idea. And as Andrew was saying, if it's up 10%, then you still need to evaluate it and look and see if it still has potential to for more growth. And most people associate dollar cost averaging with going down. So let's say that the company starts out at just to pick a number, $50. And the next month it's at 40 and you buy it. Now your dollar cost average drops. So it's not your cost basis or the average that you pay for it is not $50 now. Now it's 45 because you bought it at 50 and 40. You add those two together and you divide it. And it, so that, that's, that's kind of how that works. But you can also do the same thing if the company is going up. So let's say that you buy it at $50 and then it goes up to 60. And now you buy it at 60 and now your dollar cost average is $55 because it's, it's between the two. And let's say that it goes up to 70. So you're still making money and you're still dollar cost averaging into it. And every time it goes up, then it reduces it, 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 you're gaining that much more because you have that compounding impact of how the thing is working. And a lot of people, most of the time, and I've, I've fallen into this trap myself is that I will only dollar cost average when the company is going down, but you also benefit from doing it when the company is going up, especially if it's a really good company. And, you know, if you get a, if you get a smoking deal on a company like, I don't know, Microsoft and you get a, a chance to buy it several times before it reaches a fair value that you think, or you think it's maybe too expensive to keep buying at that point. Then you've, you've increased your ownership percentage of the company at that time, which will help the, your overall returns over a long period of time if the company continues to perform well. So it's, it's not just about buying companies when they're super, super cheap. And kind of what Andrew was referring to is something called anchoring. And basically what you're doing when you're doing that is you're anchoring on the cheap price. And even though it's up 20%, you're still thinking, uh, you know, it's now it's expensive because I bought it at $30 a share as opposed to 45, but 45 may still be, it still may be worth 60 bucks a share. And so if you're buying it now at 35 or 40 instead of 30, you're still buying it at a discount to where it was before. And it's still, and those accumulated shares, especially if it's paying a dividend is all more power for you in the long run as that company continues to perform. So those are, I guess, some ideas you can think about when you're looking at trying to, to build your portfolio. And, uh, the, the idea of the 15 or 20 is, is a great guideline and it's hopefully there to help you achieve some sort of diversification. Now, if you have 15 or 20 financials, like I would probably tend to do, uh, that's probably not best idea. But if you get up to 15 or 20 and you have kind of a, a wide range of different companies in different industries or sectors, then you can start playing around with other things. But I think what Andrew was saying is 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 a great idea to think about. And, and those are the, the good ways to think about kind of building your portfolio. But every month that you get to invest, the first thing I always do is look at what I already own. 
and see if there's other opportunities to get into those companies because a I've already done all the work. I've already spent all this time investigating these companies. These are the ones I know the best and I have the best ideas and best reference points and best knowledge about and it would make sense for me to you know beef up those positions because I know them and then you know going out to try to find other positions sometimes could be hard. You know right now trying to find great companies that are at a fair price or a, a good price is tough because the market is up so much and everything, the tide has risen so much since the COVID pan- pandemic started that it's really hard to find great companies at a fair price right now. I'm not saying they're not out there, but it's a challenge. And so when you're looking at putting more money into your portfolio, look at what you already own and see if you got opportunities there because that, again, is a great place to fish because you already know where the fish are biting because you already got them. So that's, I guess that's one of my thoughts. That was a very good one. Something about it was so insightful. Uh, I was like, ding. But <laughs> I, I, I am going to play devil's advocate just for a second because I've made okay. this mistake personally too. So I love the idea of dollar cost averaging as it's going up or down. I love that idea of um, adding more to your positions. I would caution about doing it in months consecutively. So I did it with NWL and I did it with AEO. Um, NWL turned out really bad. AEO turned out pretty good. But that doesn't make me right or wrong, right? And so I think what we need to be careful about um, getting too overconfident in in stocks and and the companies and the research we've done is I think it's easy to be lazy about um, you know oh I looked at this this month maybe you know you get the, you just get these like rose rose tinted glasses and so I think there's a lot of value with stock selection which I don't hear talked about much but I've found it personally and in, in my investing experience to be very helpful is to get excited about the company, buy the company, and then just let some time pass. Because um, after that honeymoon phase kind of goes away, then you can reapproach the company and re-internalize the things about that company that that you remember and, and the reasons why you bought it. But you can also approach it with a little bit more objectivity so you're not so emotional. And that's where you can maybe see if you were in fact correct on your research or not. And if you were correct with where you were estimating the value of the stock was or not. And so that's another idea for trying to, again, walk that balancing act between being confident in your positions, but also being humble enough to know that the market's tough and uh, investing is tough and and business can be tough. And so uh, we want to be humble, but we also want to be confident. That is such good insight. And I agree with you. And I think that is something that, see, I have never actually experienced that. And so that's something where I can, I can, I can take from Andrew's experience and I can learn from, you know, the things that he's experienced and try to process that because that, that personally is not something I've experienced because the only company that I've ever done that with was with Berkshire. Excuse me. And I bought that consecutive months and it turned out well for me but i haven't had that that experience that andrew has and so he's learned from that experience and and it's it's great that he's passing that along to all of us because that's something that i can learn learn from and one of the things that 
I don't think gets talked enough about in investing is how much of the mental aspect of the game is. And we've touched on that several times today in the questions that we've answered. And the mental aspect of investing is such an important idea to think about. And, you know, like Andrew was saying, the rose tinted glasses and, and having the overconfidence, those are things that we all fall into. And I'm not saying that those are good or bad. It's, it's just, it's really helpful to be mindful of those ideas and mindful of those things and ask yourself those kinds of questions. Am I getting cocky about this? Do I think I really, really know my stuff about this particular company? And you may, and you may not. And sometimes we may overestimate how much we really know about a particular company or position. And sometimes I think it's a really good idea to kind of check ourselves or in other circumstances have other people help check you so that you have a kind of an accountability buddy, if you will. Uh, and that's one of the things that I value about talking about all this with Andrew and with you guys is that it helps me stay grounded in any ideas that I may come up with or to help me stay humble with things because Lord knows it's, it's, it's hard to be humble. So <laughs> I'm just joking, but um, I think uh, that uh, it's, that's a great idea. I think that's a really, really good idea. All right. So before we, before we sign out, we got a little thank you to say. Uh, so we got this really cool message from a listener recently, and I wanted to share that with you. Hi, uh, this is Dawson, and I am a listener to your podcast. I am emailing you to let you know that I like your podcast a lot. The content is very informative and easy to understand. I am a kid and listen to your podcast. I listened to it on my road trip. Thank you for making the podcast. Thanks. Well, I just wanted to give Dawson a shout out and thank him for taking the time to send us that very cool email. And we really, really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. And we're glad that you're enjoying it and that you're learning a lot because you're setting the groundwork for a lot of great things for yourself in the future. So kudos to you. Yeah, Dawson, thanks for making my day. That was awesome to read. Yeah, it was. It really did make our day. So thank you very much for that, Dawson. We really appreciate it. All right. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.